1: Today on Something You Should Know. Ever walk into a room and immediately forget why you went in there in the first place? I'll tell you why that happens. Then you'll discover how to be more fascinating. And there's a really good chance you want to be more fascinating. We did a study
2: of over a thousand people throughout the United States. And the findings were unbelievable. Women would pay more money to be fascinating than they would pay on food and clothes combined.
1: Also today, ever wonder why you get a runny nose every time you cry? And some great household hacks that'll save you time and make your house look beautiful.
0: Oh, this is a fun one. If you have the glass shower doors that get the nasty soap scum buildup, a dryer sheet can be used to scrub those glass shower doors. It works like a
1: charm. All this today on Something You Should Know. Something You Should Know, fascinating intel, the world's top experts, and practical advice you can use in your life. Today, Something You Should Know with Mike Carruthers. Hi, welcome to Something You Should Know. Hope your summer is going well, given the circumstances in which we live this summer. I want to start today with something called the doorway effect. And this is interesting because this happens to me relatively frequently, and I thought it was just me. But apparently, it happens to everyone, and perhaps it's happened to you. The doorway effect is that phenomenon, for example, where you go walk into the kitchen to get something, and as soon as you walk through the kitchen door, you forget why you came into that room. It turns out that researchers have been studying this for years and have concluded that almost all of us lose some information every time we walk through a doorway. So if you've ever forgotten why you came into the kitchen or where you put your keys, you can blame it often on the doorway effect. Experts say that what happens is our brains experience a subtle shift each time we enter another room or change environment. So it's so busy taking in this new information that it just might purge that one thing you need to remember, like why you came into the kitchen. Now, you might think that walking back the way you came might help you recall why you came into the room, but researchers have put that to the test, and turns out that doesn't really improve recall at all. And that is something you should know. Do you know anyone you would describe as fascinating? Uh, It's a pretty high bar to set to be fascinating, but I'm sure you can think of someone. Those people are most likely the ones you would name if somebody asked you, if you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be? Oprah, the Pope, any president, past or present, or maybe it's someone you actually know at work or in your circle of friends. So what is it that makes a person fascinating? And can you make yourself more fascinating? Probably the best person to ask that question to is Sally Hogshead, who's been researching, writing, and speaking on the subject for quite a while. Sally is the author of several books, including Fascinate, The Seven Triggers to Persuasion and Captivation. Hi Sally, so I think I know fascinating when I see it, but I'm not sure I can define it. So, so what is it to be fascinating?
2: Fascination is an irresistible form of attraction, and you know this feeling, you know when you're totally engrossed in an activity, or when you're so involved in um, in eating something or thinking something or buying something or experiencing something that you don't even realize what's going on in the world around you. it's It's an intense, almost overwhelming type of of attraction that you have in the moment,
1: but what about people when we find people fascinating when we when they just pull us in like that? What is it about them? Are are they inherent qualities that these people have? Why why do we find some people fascinating and other people, you know, dull as as dirt?
2: (laughs) There are people who are just naturally more fascinating than, than others, and the reason why they're more fascinating is because they have an ability to elicit what I call the fascination triggers. There are seven fascination triggers, power, lust, mystique, prestige, alarm, vice, and trust. And if you, can, if you can activate these triggers when you're talking with somebody or marketing to somebody or um, having any type of connection with them, then you're going to be more fascinating to them. And certain people are just more talented at using the triggers than other people.
1: And the more of the seven triggers you use, the more fascinating you are?
2: Yes, with a caveat. So Oprah, Winry, Oprah Winfrey, for example, she, she relies very heavily on trust. We know what to expect from her. She's, she's reliable. She's predictable. She's stable and comforting. Um, Angelina Jolie, she uses lust, which is um, she draws us in and appeals to us in a, in a more sensory way. But she also uses vice, which is that naughty way she, she breaks the rules and plays with forbidden fruit. And she uses mystique, which is making us curious to learn more. There's a lot we don't understand about her public persona. So Oprah uses one trigger mainly. Um, Other people use others. Um, You don't have to use more than one, but you have to be really strong in at least one trigger.
1: But do you think that people like Oprah and Angelina Jolie, they do this on purpose? Or is this just who they are?
2: Ooh, Mike, that's a great question. Celebrities are, 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 um, they, they are a little bit more artificial in the way they use their triggers because they, it's, it's important for them to be fascinating at all times when they're in front of the camera. So for them it's a little bit um, more inauthentic and contrived. For most of us, every day when we're dealing with our kids or our boss or our coworkers and clients, we need to be natural in the way that we use our, our, our personality triggers and we all have these triggers, they're built in, they're hardwired, it's, it's instinctive. We can't help but use the fascination triggers that are built into our personality.
1: Does that mean that the triggers that you're inclined to use, the ones that are part of your personality, are the best ones to use or might you be better using other ones?
2: What a great distinction, nobody's ever asked that because some people are using the power trigger way too much. Like when you, if you've had an overbearing boss who's uh, brilliant and talented, but they, um, they, they make you want to cower under your desk when they walk in the room. That's because they're using the power trigger too much and they're using the alarm trigger. On the other hand, um, it, it, all of us when 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 we're giving a presentation or we're trying to communicate something to our children and we're we're very effectively getting our ideas across that's when we're using the triggers that uh, that, that we already have that are part of our natural strengths
1: but, but there are some people that just don't seem to have or use any of those triggers they're just dull they don't they, they they're kind of the anti-fascination and you said that these triggers are, are you're born with them they kind of come as part of your package well well what happened to theirs
2: they're there they need to figure out a way to start bringing those fascination triggers out because when you're fascinating it's about being influential and persuasive so if you want the promotion if you want to get asked out on the date, if you want to be listened to when you're standing in front of a room in a new business pitch, you have to be able to communicate your ideas in a way that makes people want to not just listen to you but act upon what you're saying. So it's essential to figure out the ways in which you can become more fascinating. So, for example, some people can come across as being very cold and difficult to connect with, and those people are they're probably using too much of the mystique trigger and uh, not enough of the lust trigger. The lust trigger is the one that makes us warm and inviting and human with open body contact and, and a sense that people want to connect with us.
1: It would seem to me as I listen to you talk that, that there's a difference between people who are naturally fascinating, who just happen to be fascinating people and people who have to work at being fascinating. I mean, if you have to work so hard at being fascinating, how fascinating are you? Are you really? And and those people who are naturally fascinating—you know—they don't know anything about Sally Hogshead or what it is you teach. They just are fascinating. What do they know that the rest of us don't know?
2: There are certain people that have a, a, just a, a natural charisma, a gift for for connecting with others or doing things that we almost can't help but watch. And, uh, and sometimes they're doing it with a, with a goal in mind. Like, people are very fascinated by Adolf Hitler. He uses the power trigger and the alarm trigger, and um, um, as a result, his, his actions were horribly effective. The same is true of terrorists or hijackers. They have a goal, and they, they fascinate people in a, in, a, in a heinous way. On the other hand, there are also um, people that want to be able to uh, accomplish things. They, want to be able, they have a political agenda, or they, they want to raise money for the PTA, but they can't seem to figure out how to get that groundswell of support. And uh, by taking a look at the triggers that they're not using, they could probably find new ways to, um, to, to make their message more compelling.
1: My guest is Sally Hogshead. She's author of the book Fascinate, The Seven Triggers to Persuasion and Captivation. A shout-out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You see, for as long as I can remember, I have had to deal with seasonal allergies. Stuffy nose, watery eyes, the whole deal. And the worst for me is it messes up my sleep. I wake up because I can't breathe right. And during the day, well, you know, if I'm working and I'm all stuffed up, then my voice sounds weird, and this is how I make my living. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. I use it, and if you struggle with allergies, you should too. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've been using Claritin-D for years because, well, just it takes care of the problem. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin-D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin-D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear.
0: Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook Games.
1: So, Sally, aren't these triggers somewhat situational? I mean, e- even if lust is your best trigger, aren't there situations where you <laughs> you better not be using lust?
2: Yes, exactly. It's um, it's very true, and that that's one of the great things about having this buffet of triggers that you get to choose. You can you can ramp some up and and pull them back. When I'm, in, when I'm in a business situation in a, in a boardroom, I'm probably not going to be using the mystique trigger as much because I need to get my point across. I'm going to be more relying on the power trigger by um, commanding authority and respect, and I'm going to use the prestige trigger by trying to make sure that I'm elevating my message so that it, it, it carries weight among um, the audience to which I'm speaking but if I'm going out with my friends, I, power and prestige don't, um, they, they don't, they don't play as much of a role there. In those cases, I'm going to want to be using the trust trigger and, and communicating to my friends that they can rely on me and feel comfortable with me. Or, or the, um, uh, the, the vice trigger by maybe doing, uh, telling an unexpected joke or doing something that, uh, that, that, that isn't the same old conversation.
1: But when you say triggers like vice and lust, I mean, people think people think naughty things.
2: <laughs> think of brands using something like lust, like you lust for chocolate, or you lust for a sports car. It's that craving that you have when you want to be close to something. It, at its heart, Fascinate is a marketing book, and it has application to personal brands, but it's really about making companies and organizations more fascinating. And these brands need to find new ways of uh, of communicating outside of the way they normally do. So the vice trigger is one that um, a brand that's coming into the marketplace that needs to uh, kick up some dirt and, and surprise people and do something fresh. They're going to have to use uh, some sort of way to compete against the 800-pound gorilla in the category. And the vice trigger is the one that they should use to uh, to create a message that's, that is that is not going to be the same old thing that people have always heard.
1: These seven triggers that you've come up with, where, where did they come from? Is this the result of, of some research, or are these things you developed, or where what's the source of the seven triggers?
2: When I was developing this concept of how do we create more persuasive messages, that was the theme of the book that I wanted to develop. And I began to uh, realize that there are very instinctive reasons why we do the things we do, why we make the decisions we do, why do we have seemingly irrational behaviors and as I, as I conducted the research, we did a study of over a thousand people um, throughout throughout the United States. Uh, it was conducted by um, a research firm. The findings were, uh, were were unbelievable. Women would pay more money to be fascinating then they would pay on food and clothes combined. $388 a month, that's how much they would be willing to pay in order to be the most fascinating person in the room. And as we started looking at the traits that people uh, described and how they wanted to fascinate or what fascinated them, it, we started to create these buckets, these, these seven pillars. And we tried a few uh, different combinations. It took about a year to get the combination of triggers I- into something that uh, very clearly defined categories. And any behavior, any decision can be parsed into one or more of these seven triggers.
1: Doesn't everyone want to be more fascinating?
2: Everybody needs to be more fascinating if we want to persuade others with, with whatever our message is, whether it's keeping your kids off drugs or lobbying for, um, for for a new job, the problem is that we don't know exactly how because we we don't know how to create more um, make ourselves more persuasive or make our brands more persuasive. The only people who don't want to be more fascinating are those who need to fly under the radar for whatever reason they don 't want to attract any attention to themselves at all. Those are very few people because we all have to we all have to get attention for our message whether we're talking to a gate agent at a flight that's totally sold out and we have to sweet talk our way onto the plane or we want to have a closer relationship with our own family. We all need to persuade people. It all comes down to marketing.
1: Yeah. But, but that sounds so inauthentic and, and manipulative that it's all marketing, but, but it is all marketing.
2: It is. And not, not in a, not in a superficial way. We, we, as human beings, we need to be able to connect. You know, when, when, when you were born, and the moment that you were born, you had a very limited number of instincts. One of those instincts was the instinct to smile. And as soon as you were able to smile, you began to do that at your parents because you wanted to captivate them so that they would continue to take care of you and change your diaper and feed you, even though you probably had a nasty habit of doing things like crying in the middle of the night. And the reason why you did that is because relationships are essential and they, 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 they pivot on one person's ability to transfix the other person. And you've got, you've got this whole amazing dashboard of instincts specifically around how to make eye contact, how to read somebody else's facial cues how to project your body language so that other people would understand that you weren't trying to eat them or attack them, that you wanted to socialize with them. We developed these over thousands of years because they enhance our survival. And we use them today without even knowing it, um, even though there's a lot of electronic communication and phone communication, it still comes down to these seven instinctive triggers.
1: Can you give me an example or two or three of a company or brand or product that has used some of these triggers effectively?
2: Sure, um, what Apple's done that's revolutionary is that they brought the Lust trigger into the category of uh, of MP3 players and phones. When you hold an iPhone in your hand or when you look at it, there's something about it that is, is sensual and appealing and it makes you want to interact with it. When you go into their stores, they're beautiful, they feel powerful. They use the power trigger and the, and the prestige trigger. They, uh, they've developed a, an incredibly strong base of people because they have mystique. They use Vice because they took all the rules of the category that were developed by, by Dell and IBM, and they tweaked them. They found their own way to interpret it. And they also use Trust because we know that when Apple comes out with a product, it's, uh, it's going to be incredibly good, and it's going to have a very creative way of seeing the world.
1: Give me a, another one, because Apple's always in that list of companies that do things better and differently and with excellence and all, but but how about another example?
2: Godiva. Godiva uses lust brilliantly because it takes all of the senses, and it incorporates them in pulling us into its stores with scent and touch and sound, and it uses prestige because it's it's Uh, It's more cherished than a lot of other chocolate brands like Hershey's. Um, Are you familiar with the drink that is named Jägermeister? Sure. Well, of course. I mean, everybody's had a a night or two of Jägermeister in their life. The brilliant thing that Jägermeister does is even though most people despise, (laughs) despise the taste of Jägermeister, the brand continues to grow because everybody wants to know what is Jägermeister actually made of. Does it really have opiates and valium in it? Does it really have quaaludes or um, some other type of of crushed drug dissolved inside? There are all these great urban myths that make people want to drink it because it makes them feel like they're doing something that's more mysterious when they're experiencing the Jägermeister brand, even though they hate the taste.
1: How about how about a brand that's a little more everyday, maybe a little more mundane, like like McDonald's?
2: Okay, McDonald's is fantastic at using the trust trigger. There was a study done that they put uh, they put branded chicken McNuggets, meaning chicken McNuggets in a McDonald's container, next to in front of children, and then they took the exact same nuggets, McDonald's chicken nuggets, in an in a in a plain container, and overwhelmingly, three year olds said that the ones in the McDonald's container tasted better because they trust that brand and they know that brand, and they have a very strong response to it. McDonald's also uses the vice trigger when it tempts us with, with the, the fat and oil and sugar in its food, and, uh, and we know we're not supposed to eat it when we're on a diet, but we crave it anyway, and it uses lust because it m- makes us, we, we want to taste that cheeseburger and that chocolate shake.
1: So so brands work at being more fascinating, celebrities work at being more fascinating, and really everybody can work at being more fascinating using these, these seven triggers that you outline. Sally Hogshead has been my guest. She is author of the book Fascinate, The Seven Triggers to Persuasion and Captivation, and there's a link to her book in the show notes for this episode of the program. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. something you should know, I'm pretty sure you're going to like TED Talks Daily. And you get TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. Whether you're a man or a woman, young or old, there will be a time in your near future when you're going to have to clean up something. Because life gets messy, and nobody knows better how to keep things clean than Jolie Kerr. Jolie writes a cleaning advice column. She has a podcast called Ask a Clean Person, and she is author of a book called <laughs> My Boyfriend Barfed in My Handbag. Hi, Jolie. So, so how, how did you get to be this cleaning guru?
0: I was always a clean person, even as a child. I was kind of an odd child, and I'm definitely an odd adult. Um, and I just really love cleaning. It's just a, a thing that I've always been into, oddly enough.
1: That's very weird.
0: Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> well, uh, compared to a lot of the other people who write about and give advice about cleaning, I mean, you you love this topic. I mean, it does seem a little weird. Anyway,
0: <laughs> you might be right about that. Yeah. You know, I've I've actually never thought about that. I mean, I'll tell you that I am a pretty joyful person in general, and I think that bringing um a positive upbeat attitude and lots of laughter to almost any situation, um, is a very great thing to do. Um, I just think it makes life better. Okay. So, yeah, so that's right. the way I look at cleaning.
1: So let's get into some nuts and bolts here and have you give us some of your favorites or some of the, gee, I never knew that kind of cleaning tips that, that will dazzle people.
0: So, yeah, one one thing that um, I think people tend to be surprised by is that white vinegar is a magic product that can be used from for everything from removing mold to as a glass cleaner and an all-purpose cleaner. It's an odor eliminator that can be used in laundry. So it's just an incredibly um, versatile product. It's also really inexpensive and it's non-toxic. So it's it's basically a perfect cleaning product. Um, and the, the running joke in my column is that the answer is always vinegar. So that's one thing that surprises people. Then I have other weird, weird tips, like using foodstuffs to clean. Um, So tomatoes and ketchup will clean copper, make it bright and shiny, which is kind of a weird one. Um, Another thing, you know when you set a a glass down and you forget to use a coaster and it leaves that white water ring on your wood table? um, Mixing a little bit of ash, either cigarette or cigar ash, with butter to make a paste will take those white water rings up from wood. So people tend to really like those kinds of weirdo tricks that I have.
1: Yeah. Give me some more of those. I love those.
0: Um, Couple more. Uh, Use a piece of sliced bread to pick up glass. If you shattered glass on your kitchen floor, say, grab a piece of sliced bread and just use it to pat that glass right up. Same thing with a cut potato. A cut potato will also pick up glass shards. So that's a nice trick to have. Um, and then, I guess sticking with the food theme, um, if you cut a half a grapefruit or a half a lemon and sprinkle it with kosher salt, that can be used to scrub the interior of a bathtub. So the combination of the citric acid and the sort of sloughing power power of the salt will will take soap scum and that kind of stuff up off of a off of a tub.
1: Better than cleanser. Better than Comet.
0: I mean, it's different from Comet. It's much it's much gentr- gentler than Comet. Comet's very harsh. I mean, I love Comet, but I think that um, people can tend to overuse those kinds of harsh powder abrasives. The other thing that's really great about the, the grapefruit or the lemon trick is that it's totally non-toxic. So... If you have a household with kids and they're often taking baths, you might be hesitant to use a product like Comet because it can leave a residue that then is still in the tub when, you know, Junior goes in for his nightly bubble bath. Um, So using natural products is is a big thing, especially for a lot of parents.
1: Great. Keep going.
0: Um, sure. Oh, this is a fun one. As long as we're on the, the subject of the, the tub and the shower, if you have those shower glass shower doors that get the nasty soap scum buildup, um, a dryer sheet can be used to scrub those shower, glass shower doors. It works like a charm. I actually just told a reporter who was interviewing me about that, and she emailed two days later and said, oh, my gosh, I tried that, and it worked. I can't even get over how good my bathroom looks right now so that was always that's always exciting to hear those those little tricks um another good one with dryer sheets is to use dryer sheets for dusting um not only will they pick up dust but they also leave behind a thin coating that will help to repel dust for just a little bit longer um it's not going to prevent the dust but it's going to extend the life of your dusting effort just a little bit longer which is a good thing
1: what about um i know it's a a problem For lots of people, is when you try do your best to finally get out and clean the windows, the streaks, when the sun shines through, they get all streaky. What's your advice?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, don't clean the windows on a sunny day, which I know is frustrating because oftentimes it's that sunny day that makes you realize how dirty your windows got, especially during spring cleaning time. Um, But wait until you have an overcast day um, and clean the windows on an overcast day. The sunshine actually will, will... contribute to the streaking. Um, another really good thing to do is to use newspaper um, instead of uh, paper towels um, because a new- newspaper is lint-free, so it's not going to leave behind any lint on the windows. Um, if you don't like using newspaper because it gets the ink on your fingers, which a lot of people don't like, um, grab a copy of the Wall Street Journal because they spend a little bit of extra money um, on a kind of ink and printing process that... Doesn't um, leave the ink on your fingers.
1: Oh, great!
0: Yeah, there, ab- there's there's a weird one for you by the yeah. Wall Street Journal.
1: Yeah, what about uh, stuff when it, around the stove and the oven that gets burnt on? You know, like the burners get burnt on stuff, and it's like impossible to get off.
0: Oh, I know. It's really a bear, isn't it? Um, a little bit of a cream cleanser or um, a, a powder abrasive, like Comet. Comet might be too harsh. Um, If you've got glass or enamel, um, stovetops, so I would use something a little gentler, maybe something like Bon Ami, um, and there's a product called Adobe Pad, D-O-B-I-E, that's made by 3M, and it's a sponge that's covered in a kind of special 3M magic netting um, that won't cause scratching but is an excellent product for um, getting things that are stuck on up off of surfaces.
1: Yeah, I've used those for years. I like those.
0: Yeah, I love those. They're they're a great product.
1: What is um you know what, what the, the our cleaning lady uses something called um barkeeper's best friend or bartender's best do you know what barkeeper's that
2: is? Barkeeper's friend.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, what is I'm that? gonna tell you I'm gonna tell you something. It's very similar to Bon Ami, Um so it comes in both a cream and a powder um formula. People swear by barkeeper's friend. They love it for cleaning their stainless steel dish or pots and pans for cleaning everything in the kitchen for cleaning the bathroom I have to tell you that I have never had good luck with barkeeper's friend and so I resent it terribly because I am a cleaning expert and it doesn't work for me and it makes me feel bad um, but other people love it so yes I will I will bite my tongue right. my teeth and mention it that it is it is a pretty good product for most people
1: so talk about um automobile, the car, because people stain things in the car and the car smells and talk about the car.
0: Absolutely. The car is a mess and we tend to forget about the car being a mess. Um, so there are a couple of different things that happen. One, the staining, um, what you should use if you have upholstered, it's really mostly a problem when you've got upholstered seats. Um a product that's used to clean upholstery, like a foaming upholstery and carpet cleaner, will go a long way in bringing that upholstery back up. It's also going to help with some of the smell issues. Um, also a good idea from time to time to vacuum the car out. Um, you know, you can go to a car wash and use the shop vacuum that they have for rent. If you have your own shop vac or a handheld vac even, um, that's going to make the car look a lot better vacuuming the, the um the floors and the upholstery and so on. For the smell, you want to use an odor-eliminating product. Um, So not something that's going to mask odors like the trees that you hang from the rearview mirror because that's just going to make the car smell like pine and french fry. So instead, it's better to find a product that's an odor eliminator. Activated charcoal is a great odor eliminator. Um, It's actually the product that's used in most kitty litters to control odor. So if you think of a litter box as needing odor control, the same, kind of, um, the same kind of product is going to work to control odors in your car.
1: Great. Well, we've talked about some of my favorites, so pick some of your favorites. A
0: couple of my favorites. Um, we'll tell you one that my readers come to me all the time about, um, yellow underarm stains. The thing to know about the yellow underarm stains is that it's caused by two different things. One, the sweat, obviously. Um, We think of those as sweat stains, but actually the other contributor to that is the deodorant and antiperspirant that we're using. It contains aluminum and there's a chemical reaction that goes on that creates that yellow stain. Um, What you don't ever want to use on that is bleach, oddly enough. People think, oh, I'll just bleach out my white shirts. No. Bleach is going to make that kind of stain, which is a protein stain, sweat is a protein stain, render more yellow, um, and so you don't want to use it. Instead, what you want to use is something that has an enzyme in it, so an enzymatic-based cleaner. Um, I really like OxyClean, but there are loads of other products out on the market. Um, and the thing is is that once you've gotten into that yellow staining ca- territory, you're going to need to do a little bit of work. So you're going to need to let those products, the stain-removing products, work on the shirt before you launder them, so either by soaking them or by using a spray treatment and letting it sit for thirty or so minutes before laundering. Um, so that's that's a big one I hear all the time.
1: Do you do you think that um, good cleaning is contains an element of preventiveness?
0: I think so. Yeah, I mean the the thing is is that the more frequently you, you clean, the easier it's going to be. Um, and the, the less time overall you're going to end up spending, I know that sounds sort of odd to say, the more frequently you clean, the less time you'll spend. But if you let things build up, you're going to have to put so much time and work. Physical energy cleaning is a very physical thing that we do. Um, it's just going to be really exhausting. Whereas if you just kind of stay on top of it and do a little bit every day, every week, um, you don't really, you're not really going to be looking down the barrel at these major you know, hours-long cleaning tasks. One more, one more tip. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about blood stains because we all get blood stains. Um, the good news about blood stains is that there are a lot of ways to remove them. So some really common things that that we see are um, hydrogen peroxide is a go-to, um, and that's also very cheap, very readily available. Um, also, salt and saline solution. So if you're on the fly and you're a contact lens wearer and you have saline solution, saline solution will help to remove blood stains. Um, Again, just like our pit stains, an enzymatic cleaner is going to be great on blood. Here are two that are really weird. The first is unseasoned meat tenderizer will remove blood stains. You mix it with a little bit of water, rub it onto the stain, wipe it off with a damp rag or a sponge um, and it'll, it'll take that stain out. The last one Um, is kind of so gross, I don't really want people to use it, but it does work, so I'm going to tell people that saliva will take a blood stain out. If it's a fresh blood stain, if it's an older one, you should use something like an enzymatic cleaner. But if you've got a fresh blood stain, your own saliva will take that blood stain out.
1: Excellent, excellent. Well, you're now my go-to cleaning expert. Jolie Kerr has been my guest. She is the host of a podcast called Ask a Clean Person. She has an advice column, and she's also author of the book, My Boyfriend Barfed in My Handbag. (laughs) I love that title. There's a link to her book in the show notes for this episode. Thanks, Jolie. When you cry, you almost always get a runny nose, and that can make things even more upsetting and, and embarrassing. So what causes that? Why does your nose run when you're crying? And the short answer is overflow. We all generate tears all the time. They're a mix of oil, mucus, and water that are secreted from different glands and cells around your eye. Tears serve to keep the eyeball surface lubricated. If your eye gets irritated or if you're feeling sad, tear production ramps up until your eyes fill up and overflow. Each eye can hold about 7 microliters of fluid, according to Penny Asbell, who is an ophthalmologist at Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York. When this threshold has been crossed, then the tears start dribbling down your eyes and down your cheeks. Excess tears can also go down the back and flood the drainage ducts that lead to the nasal passages, and then you get a runny nose. And that is something you should know. That's the program today. I'm Mike Carruthers. Thanks for listening to Something You Should Know